All right, well, today we're going to wrap up a series that we've been in called Living Like Jesus. And uh, before I jump into the talk today, uh, I want to honor someone in the room. And I, I was looking forward to having you here. I didn't know if I was going to have a chance, so this is completely off the cuff, no speech here on this prepared. But here's, uh, I want to, I just believe in honoring someone. And, um, and so it's just a thrill to have you here on this day. So some of you don't know, I'll give you some context where I'm going with this. And um, I grew up in Duncanville, Texas, south of Dallas. Uh, some of you know my story, but I'm going to go ahead and share it because this is a huge part uh, to who I am today. Um, actually, it's funny enough because on a paper I was writing today for school for seminary, I'm at Dallas Theological Seminary. I don't know if you know that, but uh, I had to write my autobiography, you know, and so here I am sharing it now. I did not grow up necessarily, you know, in an environment uh, that I would say was Christ-like in my life. I did not spend most of my years being the best kid, uh, for sure. Didn't make great decisions, started drinking at an early age, around the age of 12. Some of you know that already. Got into a lot of trouble. Eventually, I got invited to go to a youth group by a good friend of mine named Donnie Melton, and uh, still friends to this very day, and he invited me to go to a church. At the time, it was called Church on the Rock South. And uh, a church in Duncanville, Texas, where I'm from, and they had a youth center behind the building, and it had volleyball courts and basketball courts and stuff like that. So I went for two reasons, to play games and meet girls. That's what I was there for. You may not have known that, but that's why I was there. I didn't come to hear you preach. <laughs> and uh, so, so I went there, ended up meeting a guy who was a volunteer. He was around 18 years old, Andrew Chilbert, and he was volunteering there, him and a guy named Joel Eason. Joel Eason is a senior pastor of Bridgeway Church. And so uh, those two guys, and especially Andrew, took me under his wing, kind of became a father figure to me, introduced me to Jesus, and always told me, uh, you're going to have a, you know, something special about your life. God's called in your life. I never believed any of that. I just went, like I said, for the fun and hopefully meet a girlfriend. And so anyways, actually, several times, this is true, in their youth ministry, I was such like one of the worst kids in the youth group, I got kicked out of youth group. Uh, there was the, I did, I, and it rightly so, you know, because there was, it was like, get that kid out. But, but Andrew loved me so much. They didn't kick me out of the church. They just said, you got to just step out in the back today. We got to talk to you. So I have a lot of one-on-ones, <laughs> I'll say. And, uh, but anyway, so I would visit this church from time to time, ended up finding faith at Church on the Rock South, which later would change its name to Southwest Harvest Church. But I ended up finding my faith there. I would say the foundation started there. Uh, then I walked away from the Lord for probably around 10 years, stopped going to church uh, completely. I'm about to confess some stuff here that's like, oh Lord. All right, so, but this all is important because I want you to hear this. I don't know if I ever have this opportunity again uh, in person to do this. So, uh, so I ended up going, uh, this guy, Andrew, took me under his wing. He would take me to lunch. He would pour into me. And even when I would get kicked out of my house, uh, I'd get arrested, or you know, I'd just simply not know where I am and need someone to pick me up, Andrew would come and, and be there for me. Well, around the age of 18 years old, I dropped out of high school, and uh, Andrew tried to always tell me that God had a special calling on my life, which again, I never believed, and, and he would take me in. And so what he did is he got me a job at this church, Andrew did, cleaning the school. And so I scrubbed the toilets after this class was over. And one night when we were cleaning the school, Andrew showed up and he said, Ricky, let's pray together. So he started playing keyboard and we started praying. And I had, I would say, my first real genuine encounter with God. 
That was August 9th, 1997. God spoke to my heart, and he wrote it in the Bible. Andrew did. He said, you know, saved and called into the ministry. And that is when I felt like God say to me, that I'm going to have a special calling for you that you're going to be a minister of the gospel. That was August 9th, 1997. Andrew Chilbert wrote this in the Bible. All right, I'm going somewhere with this. So I get this Bible uh, about 10 years, actually two weeks later. Oh man, here I am confessing. I probably should confess this to you because you don't even know this happened. Two weeks after having this encounter with God, I get a girlfriend. And, uh, and needless to say, it wasn't the healthiest relationship. And Andrew told me, hey, you're going to have to start to separate yourself from this relationship and start to pursue your relationship with God. And I use some choice words, I'll say. And uh, some very choice words. There I am in the church that you lead, sitting in his office. And he says, you need to end this relationship with this girlfriend. It's not healthy for you. And I said, two words. And I cannot say them right now. (laughs) And the last one was you. (laughs) You got it? Okay. If your children in the room, you can talk to them about that later. Okay? (laughs) Love you. (laughs) All right. That is actually what I said to him. I walked out of that church. I never picked up a Bible for eight years. I never went back to church for eight years. Zero. Gone. Wanted nothing to do with it. Hit rock bottom, 27 years old. I find myself on my knees in a living room by myself praying, crying out to God, saying, God, please forgive me. Long story short, I call Andrew Chilbert. Uh, he's living in Tampa, Florida. He's helped plant a church at Bridgeway Church, which of course is in Wesley Chapel. In 2006, I move here at the age of 27. I fully surrender to my life to God, and the rest is history. On staff at Bridgeway Church for eight years, and then of course we've planted Brave Church five years ago. Now, here's why I say that to you. Funny enough, if you heard the message last week, I told you how one man's obedience can change the course of many people's lives. If you remember the story, go back and listen to the talk, how Peter and John were in the boat. Remember, Jesus said, push out the boat into the water. I'll fill the boats with the fish. And then it spilled over and two boats were filled. And I told you how one man's obedience can change the course of people's lives, but not just one life, lives and lives and lives and lives to come. I want to tell you somebody special in the room. Pastor Sonny can answer. Pastor Sonny can answer as a senior pastor. And I'm not sure if you planted or started Church on the Rock. You did. And how long did you pastor the church? 30 years. He started this church. He planted the church, was part of the church, led the church 30 years. And here's what I'll say, because I need you to know this. Sonny, your one obedience 35, 40 years ago saying yes to Jesus not only has changed my life, But every person in this room, whoever gets impacted through this church, is the result of your one act of obedience. And I want to say thank you. And I appreciate it. And and what I love about uh, the story about you, and I think I sent you an email a couple years ago, is most people in the world, in the world we live in today, aren't going to know about you. You know, you get the credit, all these big names and mega churches, and you didn't lead this mega church in, in the eyes of America. But in the eyes of God, your church is mega. Because every person that Bridgeway touches, and every person that comes out of Bridgeway, and every person that Brave touches, and every person that comes out of Brave, and the generations and generations to come, 
or a result of your step of obedience. I love you, and I thank you. Appreciate you. And I'm sorry that I said you in your church. Thank you. He said, I'm forgiven. I have been waiting 20 years. <sighs> so good. Today we're talking about leadership, funny enough. To wrap this series on living like Jesus, I want to talk to you about the subject of leadership. When it comes to leadership, it would not be a hard sell to convince you that leadership matters in our world. How leaders lead our nations matter. How parents parent, how teachers teach, how coaches coach, how bosses lead their organizations They all have a tremendous impact in our world. No one would probably argue that too much. My point is simple, that leadership matters. We need great leadership. And I'm not talking about just in our country. I'm talking about even to the point of a dad being a dad, a mom being a mom, a parent being a parent. I'm talking about just leading the things even around you in your life. Just think about how important leaders are and leadership is. I believe wholeheartedly that everyone in this room is a leader to some degree because leaders ultimately carry influence. If you have influence in someone's life, then you lead them. You may not have thought about that way. You might not carry the title leader, but if you have influence, you're a leader because you're impacting someone else. Think about how someone's day can possibly change, how someone's life can change as a result of someone's bad leadership. Think about a boss who mistreats their employees and the employee goes home and is upset or depressed or stressed out and how it weighs on their marriage or how it weighs on how they treat their child or however it may be in their family, how it can shift the world just through someone's leadership. Or on the flip side, someone's good leadership, healthy leadership, however you might look at that, and how it could change your day, how it can change perspective, how it can change a world, how it could change a country, how it could change a state, how it could change about, just think about all the different ways that leadership plays a role in our world. Leadership matters. I heard a key principle of leadership years ago, and each year I'm more and more convinced of its truth, and it's this, key, key leadership principle, the speed of the leader is the speed of the team. In other words, a leader should never expect from others anything more than they're willing to deliver themselves. The leader sets the tone. The leader sets the tone. As a parent, you set the tone. As a leader in an organization, you set the tone. Leaders on teams set the tone. The leader set the tone. And this is exactly what Jesus did for his followers. Jesus set the tone for leadership. I want to speak to you today about how Jesus led, but more importantly, how Jesus taught his followers to lead as well. Matthew chapter 20 is where we're going to be. The teaching of this leadership principle comes as the result of a mother's request for her two sons. Verse 20, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and she kneels down, and she asks Jesus a question. Here's what she said. It's in verse 21. He says, what is it that you want, he asked. And she says, 
Grant that one of these two sons of mine sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. What she makes a request for is authority and power. Got the right hand is the strength of God often in scripture. On the left hand, you've got authority. So I I want my children to have authority and power. From her perspective, Jesus was going to be leading a nation. He was going to become, in our vernacular and understanding, the president. So, hey, future Mr. President, would you let my son sit at your right and at your left so they have governing authority and power? And with authority and with power comes wealth. Would you push them to the top that they could become leaders? Would you put them to your right and left? Jesus responds back in verse 22, you don't know what you're asking for, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? And then, of course, they answer completely ignorantly and say, oh, yeah, we can. You ever had somebody in your life say, well, if you just let me lead, you know, okay, you want to take the lead? You think you could do better? Yes, actually, I think I do. And you're like laughing internally thinking, no, you will not be better. It's not as easy as you think it is. So they say ignorantly, yeah, we can. We can can drink the cup. Well, Jesus says to them, all right, you will indeed drink from the cup, but to sit at my right and left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, that's the other disciples, because there's 12 here. The ten hear about this, they're indignant, they're frustrated with these two brothers. Jesus, I want you to notice, did not correct the two men or the mom for what they wanted. I want you to see this. He didn't get frustrated in the context that they wanted the authority and the power. The issue he had was not that they wanted to become leaders. The issue he had was their approach to accomplish getting there. It was the approach that mattered. So I'm not upset that you're wanting to become leaders. What I'm upset with is the means by which you go to accomplish trying to get power and authority. To drink of the cup was a metaphor of a person's life. It was also a metaphor of God's wrath. So what Jesus is simply saying is, uh, you don't know what this cup is. In other words, can you suffer the way that I'm going to suffer? It was an idea of suffering. Can you drink of the cup? Can you suffer the way that I'm about to suffer? So you want to become a leader, all right? Can you drink from the cup that I'm about to drink from? A cup is symbolic for someone's life or God's wrath. So can you endure the suffering that I'm about to suffer? Now, he's, of course, thinking of the cross, the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection. Can can you suffer all the things that I'm about to encounter? And these men say, yeah, sure, I can do that. Not fully aware of what Jesus is speaking to. Can you endure the suffering that I'm going to endure? Then Jesus says back to them, you will eat and drink then. They say, yeah, you can. Okay, you got it. And in fact, James, one of these brothers, was the first of the 12 to lose his life for Christ. King Herod had James, the brother John, put to death by sword. Some believe that John, the other brother, would be boiled in his life to death. Or it certainly was treated poorly. Certainly maybe put in prison or treat... Suffered, if you would, for the sake of the gospel. So it came, fulfillment came true. 
they suffered for the gospel. The other followers of Jesus are displeased, and it's possibly simply because they're frustrated that James and John are trying to like push themselves to the top, or maybe they're just jealous that they didn't think about it first. You know, like, man, we should have asked that. I don't know, but needs to say they're not happy with the brother's request. Either way, I want you to catch this for those who follow Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you're a follower of me, expect a degree of suffering. If you want to follow Jesus or live like Jesus, you just really need to understand you will suffer. Now raise your hand if you say, sign me up. I'm inviting you to participate. You don't have to. If I presented the gospel to you this way today and I said, Jesus loves you, do you want to follow him? It's going to cost you your life. Would you make a move and stand forward? Would you raise your hand? How about if I say this? All your dreams will come true if you follow Jesus. Everyone gets saved. Amen. <laughs> Jesus never, wanted, never once invited a follower to follow him without them first counting the cost. You have no idea what you're asking for when you're asking to follow me. Once you hear that, you have no idea what you're asking for when you're asking to follow me. You think you do, but you don't know. It's going to cost you your life. And it would. And they died for it. Jesus teaches this principle of leadership. He continues on. Jesus called these together and he said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercised authority over them. I mean, you know how these guys treat people. Jesus uses this moment to turn the standard of leadership upside down. These men wanted power and authority and he flips it on them and he says, I'll teach you how to get power and authority in my kingdom. I'll teach you how to do it. So he tells this kind of analogy, but he brings it into practical world. He says, you know how these current Roman rulers, you know how they treat people, you know how they lord it over, you know how they're so like in control and power and money hungry and all the power trip stuff, like you know how these men treat people. The phrase lord it over, if you want to circle that in your Bible or underline it or highlight it, or just pay attention to it, means to bring under power. So Jesus says, you know how these leaders in the world operate. Their motive for leadership is simply about one thing, building up their own power and their own authority. In fact, you know people just like that. You know people in places of leadership who really only care about one thing, themselves. Like, you've been in circumstances like that. You've been in environments or jobs like that where the person, literally you can tell, they really don't care about you. They just care about what gets them to the next level of leadership, the next level of power, 
so that they can maintain or help the wealth or the power or whatever the circumstance may be, that they can have control. You know how the world operates. You know how this goes. Of course, they fully understood this. You know those leaders who care more about themselves and their promotions than they do about their own staff? Jesus then makes a statement that separates his followers who lead from those types of leaders. I want you to know a, Christ, a Christian leader, I believe, should be the best leaders on the planet. He says, I've got something to tell you as Jesus followers if you're ever going to lead. When you parent, whether you coach, whether, whatever you lead, wherever you have influence, you know the people who try to just step themselves up and it's really all about them. Here's my coaching to you. And here's what he tells them. And he kind of puts, I think, a little bit of emphasis on it. And here's what he says. He turns the whole statement, not so with you. So Jesus says, my followers lead differently. This is not how my followers are to lead. They don't lead their business this way. They don't lead their teams this way. They don't lead their children this way. They don't lead their communities this way. They don't lead their nations this way. They Always put the other first. It's a different way of thinking. I'm flipping this thing upside down. In fact, these leaders don't strive for power and authority. He's going to teach what they should strive for in just a minute. We don't lead as Christ followers with the idea of what we can get out of it. I want you to hear this. We lead a completely different way. We don't lead based on the reward we receive. But I want to tell you how I want you to lead going forward. Then Jesus says, this is not how we lead. We don't lead with rewards for ourselves in mind. You see, these kind of worldly leaders lead from the place of what I get out of it. What's going to come back to me? Not so with you. You're trying to get to the right and the left. You're trying to get to the power and the authority. Not so with you. That's not how you get power and authority in my kingdom. If you want power and authority, if you want to lead things in my kingdom, I'll tell you how to get there. And he goes on to say, your goal should be serving, not ruling. Here's what he says. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. The word great is the Greek word megas, for mega, a person of authority, okay, in a particular space and dimension. I want you to see this. Think about it this way. This word mega, or great, is about the person that carries the weight. If you want to shoulder the weight, because if you're, if you're a parent, do you carry more weight? You know, you, you carry more weight. If you're a parent, you carry more weight. If you lead an organization, you carry more weight. You ever lead something, thought, I really want to be the leader of the team. I want to be the coach of the team. I want to be the parent. And then all of a sudden, it added more weight. You don't believe me? Have two kids. You feel like you, that's not enough weight? Just tack on three. You want to keep going? Go four. You want to keep going? I didn't think so. Four, me and my wife tapped out. We're done. It just adds on more weight. More weight. When you get advanced in God's kingdom, it just tacks on more weight. It amazes me how people strive for leadership without understanding the weight that comes along with it. 
If you want more promotions, you just get more weight. And those who lead certain teams or organizations or companies or whatever the case may be, it just tacks on more weight. So I want you to understand, if you want to have the weight, if you want to carry the leadership, here's the approach. You must be your servant. Must be your servant. Here's what he's saying. If you guys want to hire people in the future, I want you to look for the ones who are doing the serving. This is the standard of leadership. I want you to look for the ones that are serving. The word servant is a Greek word that means to put themselves underneath the command of another person. If you're going to appoint a leader, look for the one who submits to authority. It's also used to describe the word waiter as the one that serves food or drink. In the kingdom, the community, status, money, popularity should never be the prerequisite for leadership. I want you to know in God's kingdom that the prerequisite for leadership is servanthood. And I'm going to unpack that in just a minute, even a little deeper for you. Most of us have no problem with agreeing with this one. I want you to think about this. In fact, we love leaders who do this, who put their employees first. Most of us would have no problem with this standard of leadership. We love the leaders. We agree with that. Like, you didn't even know that you agree with Jesus on something, but you're like, I guess I do agree with that because I, I like leaders who put me first. How many love leaders who put their staff first? Like, no, I'd rather have the guy who just doesn't care about me and makes me work all the time. Right? We know these kind of leaders. How many, have you ever worked for a leader that you're like, I despise this person. Oh my gosh, he's stressed in my home. He's always yelling. They're always mad. She's always that, you know, and they're just a leader who literally are just destroying lives, making their employees cry, always power trip hungry. Anyone has ever worked for a leader like that? Now my staff, you better not raise your hand. Or I'll fire you. No, I'm Okay. I'm one of the leaders. All right, here we go. We love leaders who are selfless, don't we? We love leaders who are selfless, who literally put others first. Like, we love that. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. Jesus is like, that's what our leadership should be about. We love to work for leaders who are like that. So here Jesus makes a statement that all of us would agree with, but then he adds a condition. He adds an additional ingredient, and this is where some tension comes. He adds a word, and it's the word slave. I want you to see this. You see, servant sounds, yeah, yeah, put me first. Be a leader who puts others first. Okay, let's go walk out of here happily. I'm going to start being a parent just puts others first. I put people first and be a leader who puts, I'm going to coach. But we're going to put other people's first. That sounds so nice. We're just going to serve people. Be nice to people. Be kind to people. Treat people well. That's what Jesus is saying wrong. Because he adds this Greek word, and we get the English word slave from it. I think this is where the disciples are like, you mean the prerequisite for leadership in your kingdom is slavery? And watch. Jesus says, and whoever wants to be first... You want to be great? You want to be the leader? You want to be the top? I want you to look for the person who's a slave. All right. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. It's like he's using this word slave and servant as like interchangeably. And to give his life 
as a ransom for many. The standard of leadership, serve, slave, and let me just tack this on, giving your life. He tells his followers, when you look for future leaders, don't look for the ones who want authority. Don't look for the ones who want a title. Look for the ones who submit to authority. Look for the ones who put themselves underneath authority. Who can take instruction well? Who does what the leader says to do? Who surrenders and submits to authority? Those are the ones in my kingdom who are given authority. Jesus doesn't use the word, just the word slave. He uses the word give your life. Jesus is essentially saying when you look for leaders, look for those who are willing to give their life. I want you to know something about ministry. That is the job that myself or uh, Andrews or Deanna or our staff, and this, we would all attest to this. I want you to understand this, that real ministry is done always for the benefit of those ministered to, not for the benefit of the minister. Jesus came for two reasons, to serve and to save. That's it. Since we can't save, because I don't know if you know this, but none of you are the savior of the world, although you may think it sometimes, you are not the savior of the world. Jesus is the savior of the world, which basically gives his future leaders one real responsibility. Since you can't save, because he said, I came to save and to serve. But since you can't save, only I do the saving, you do the serving. You want to be a leader? Serve. But watch this. This is where it gets tricky. Slave. Both Greek words carry the same meaning behind them. Submit to authority. Just think about it this way. I've often heard it said in leadership circles and church circles. Uh, you ever heard that a servant's heart? He has a servant's heart. You know, you ever heard that term, servant's heart? Yeah, for years, like servant's heart. Yeah. Um, one of the ideas of leadership is uh, servanthood leadership, right? Or servanthood. It's a servant leadership. We want to be servant leaders. And I thought about this idea of servant leadership, and I think it's absolutely true. Great leaders, Christ-like leaders, should lead with kindness, patience, gentleness, self-control, putting their staff first, loving people, right? All of that is absolutely true. But if we use the term serve and leader or servant leaders, leaders who serve, I think we miss it in our English vernacular understanding of serving. Jesus was not telling them just to wash their employees' feet and the people they lead's feet. I want you to think about it this way. Let's go to parents. He wasn't saying, here's what I want you to do when you parent your child. I want you to wash their feet, and then I want you to, to serve them hand and foot and put the plate in front of them and then, you know, put all their clothes out nice and night for them and then hang it up on the coat, right? I want you to just keep serving them and, and that's the way, that's, the, that's how I want you to do it. Because that would be servant leadership. We would have monsters running around our homes if that's how we treated our children, which by the way, some of them are monsters because we treat them that way. Let's go on the message. 
Amen. Did you catch what I just said very fast there? Did you get that? So he's not talking about servant leadership. I want to I just potentially propose something to you. If you've ever heard the term servant leadership, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to just take off the word servant, okay? It's not what he was saying. It wasn't servant leadership. If you want to be a leader in my kingdom, it's submissive leadership. Leaders in my kingdom are the ones who submit to my authority. You want to be great in my kingdom? You submit to my authority. Want you to hear it? Jesus, leader in the kingdom of heaven, God in the flesh, comes down and tells his followers, leaders who lead like me, submit to the Father's will. You want to find a leader? Look for the ones who take their Bible and submit to it. Jesus, a time later, would eventually be sitting in a garden and he would pray, Father, there's a cup. It's a heavy, heavy cup. I'm about to experience, remember cup was Old Testament for God's wrath. So I'm going to experience your wrath on this cross. And Jesus goes to a garden and he prays and he says three times, is there any way that I do not have to drink of this cup? That I do not have to go through this suffering? And then he makes the statement which reminds us today why he is the ultimate leader. He sets the example for leadership. He sets the tone for leadership when he says these words to his father. And here's what he says to his dad who puts the cup of suffering before him that he's going to have to endure the cross. He looks back up his dad and he says, but not my will. I submit to your will, even if it's not comfortable for me, even if I don't like it, even if I'd rather be doing something else, I submit to your will. I want to propose to you today in the kingdom of God, if you want to be a leader like Jesus, it begins with submission, not servanthood. I think Jesus is looking for submissive leaders, not servant leaders. Why would that matter so much to God? What does that really mean for you? Just play it out with me. Think about a parent who raises a child. Think about a coach who teaches a team, a boss who leads a staff, a community leader, a mayor, a governor, one that represents a nation. Jesus says, Those who follow me are submissive to me. If you want to know the way you could become the best parent, the best leader, the best decision you could ever make in whatever area of influence you carry in your life, the best thing you could do, you got to hear me on this, and I'm wrapping this up, the best thing you could do is submit 
to God's word. Can I have a Bible real quick? And I'll wrap this up. Just give me a Bible. It doesn't matter. Any Bible. I was talking with Chrissy yesterday about this message. Write this in. Or if you were taking notes, followers of Jesus submit to the authority of Jesus. Okay, because I'm teaching about leadership today. It's about leadership. Followers of Jesus submit to the authority of Jesus. We most lead like Jesus when we submit to God's will for our lives. If you want to lead like Jesus, submit to God's will. Okay, that's what I want you to get from this. But let me just take this Bible for just a minute and let me help illustrate this. All of you carry influence, every one of you. To some degree, you influence someone, a friend, a neighbor, a child, uh, a sibling, a cousin, an aunt. You have influence in someone's life. You do. The best decision you can make is to submit to God's word. Jesus looks for leaders who submit to this. Chris and I were talking and said, what does this mean for me? Here's what it means for us. If you want to be the best parent, do what this says. If you want to be the best leader in your organization, treat people the way this book tells you to treat people. You know what it says about paying your employees? Do you know? It says don't muzzle an ox. The worker deserves their pay. Modern day vernacular, don't be a cheapskate. Don't drive Cadillacs while they don't even have a car to drive. just got political. Okay, here we go. Listen. My point to you is, if you want to be a great leader, submit to this. You want to be a great parent? Submit to this. Make this the governing authority in your life. What he was telling James and John was, and to the mom who made the ask, which by the way, James and John were most likely millennials because they had mommy ask Jesus, but that's a whole other thing. Mom, would you ask him if I could, okay, can I have a job? Okay, anyways. And, and the, the millennial laughs, he, he laughs. Okay, so anyways. Okay. Um, I just want you to know, if I had one thing to tell you today, we're going to close out like this. The best decision you can ever make is submit to the, this word. He says, James, John, to the mom and to his disciples, if you want to be a leader in my kingdom, I'm looking for the person who's going to submit to this, not for the person who's looking for power, not for the person who's looking for authority, not for the person who's looking for a paycheck, not for the person who's all about themselves, not for a person who's looking for themselves, not for what they can get out of it, what they can receive from it. I'm looking for the person who will submit to this. Leaders in God's kingdom, you want to know what leadership is like in this position? constant giving until the point that you've given your whole life. You want to lead something in God's kingdom? Be ready to give your life up. Constant, constant giving over and over and over 
and over and over and over again. You want to be a great leader in God's eyes, a great parent in God's eyes? Give yourself to him fully. The way to leadership, according to Jesus, is through submission to his word. My hope for you today is you consider this one question. Am I fully submitted to what he says? Jesus, well, we need you. We need help when we don't have confidence in you. We need help when we don't know what your word even teaches. We need your help to have understanding, to see it. Lord, we need your help to surrender and submit to your will. Jesus, we need your help. Like it is so hard sometimes to trust your will is actually better than the one we have planned. It is hard sometimes to think that you have a better plan than we do. We so easily fool ourselves sometimes, God, because we think that we actually have a better plan for our life than you do. Today, we hear you say, not so with you anymore. Not so with you. My followers submit to my word. They submit to my authority. Jesus, we hear you loud and clear. Lord, help us to become leaders like the ones that you aspired to, to look for, to go after, to, the leaders who submit to your authority. And Father, help us to influence others the way that you did. Lord, with love, with grace, and with truth compassion and kindness and patience, gentleness and self-control, but still having grit. It's amazing. Jesus, we submit to your will. I do. Whatever you say goes. Help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.